匆匆飘，倒影在摇，荒了地上绿草，沉沦。It's impossible for any one person to tell the story of a country or an island. And how do you tell a story that you're not even sure you have the right to tell? This is how Rachel and I felt as we began to work on these episodes that feature Taiwan. There was absolutely no way we were going to have enough voices or a complete enough of a picture, but we felt compelled to move forward because, as you heard in part one of this episode, Taiwan is deeply important to both of us. So here I am. Doreen, your messy guide and quote-unquote native informant to Taiwan. When I say messy, I mean that we hope to give you a complicated, nuanced picture of this place and of our time together here. So I'm going to kick off with a brief background of Taiwan. Taiwan is first and foremost a place where I first learned to love a land and its people. Sometimes when I take the train and look out at the mountains and sea and greenery still bursting forth from this densely populated and developed land, I get a little choked up. It's the first place where I felt something close to an ancestral connection, even though my family were settlers here too. The majority of my people arrived in the 17 and 1800s from Fujian, China. Let me back up and talk about who arrived in Taiwan first. Lots of different people who are really skilled at navigating the seas. Taiwan's own First Nations. Sixteen indigenous groups are nationally recognized by Taiwan's government today. Many others are not governmentally recognized. The First Peoples of Taiwan helped to spread the Austronesian languages, a huge linguistic family, wherever they went, all over Southeast Asia, and crossing the oceans to as far away as Fiji and Madagascar. I mention these faraway places because most people who talk about Taiwan today refer to it in the context of its relationship with China, but Taiwan and its people have long had outsized impact and far-reaching relationships across the globe. Let's imagine tiny Taiwan, its main island roughly the size of Switzerland or Maryland. We affectionately like to say it looks like a sweet potato out in the Pacific. Now flip the world map as we know it upside down. Taiwan is close to China, and it is also one end in a triangle of Southeast Asian islands. It is shaped by its relationship with both regions. It's also been shaped by a series of foreign occupations and settlements, all of which the indigenous peoples fought fiercely against. Its geographical position and its natural resources were attractive. Economically lucrative and politically strategic for empire building, for the Dutch, the Spanish, the Chinese, the Japanese, and the Americans. Most of my family are of Han ethnicity and speak a dialect of Fujianese, which we call Taiwanese today. Three out of four grandparents grew up under Japanese colonization. One still says the word for cucumber in Japanese. And remembers being bombed by American planes as part of Japanese Taiwan. After Japan lost the war, the Republic of China, with help from the U.S., took over Taiwan. And after the Republic of China lost the Chinese Civil War in 1949, Chiang Kai-shek 
took his whole government plus more to Taiwan, and Mao Zedong set up the People's Republic of China on what some still call mainland China today. My paternal grandfather, Ye Ye, was part of this band of losers. This grandfather was then part of the apparatus of setting up a brutal authoritarian rule over Taiwan, which lasted for close to 40 years. The U.S. government funded and supported Taiwan's government as a bastion in its campaign against communism during this time. As a child raised in a military village in Taipei in the 1960s, my father long tasted the United States before he immigrated to New York. Our family had access to American powdered milk. I was born in 1983 in New York City and sent to Taiwan soon after to live with my grandparents. Which means that during the years I briefly lived in Taiwan, innocent people were still being disappeared and tortured, until martial law was lifted in 1987. But the beginnings of political reform were also happening in the 80s, and now Taiwan has what I call a baby democracy. I remember Taiwan's first bipartisan elections and the first time a president from the opposition party was elected in 2000. I was a senior in high school and undergoing what I thought were quite major life transitions, but my parents were glued to the Taiwanese satellite network in our New Jersey living room. Family gatherings were full of pyrotechnics about party allegiances. I liked seeing everyone so feisty. I liked that we could finally talk about politics and history, and beliefs and value systems. Taiwan recently held. Its 15th presidential elections just two weeks ago. I haven't felt this fired up about an election or as reinvigorated by a democratic process in a very long time. Some call Taiwan the most democratic and politically progressive state in Asia now, pointing to freedoms of speech, press, and assembly. And of course, it's the first place in Asia to legalize same-sex marriage. And while Taiwan does operate as an independent state. Its democracy feels perpetually insecure, as long as its political status and statehood remain so. It's no secret that China considers Taiwan a part of the Middle Kingdom, and it's no secret. Just watch any coverage of the recent election that many people in Taiwan vehemently disagree. This small, warm, and renegade island is where I greeted Rachel last March. She was coming for the first time to see the place and the people that accompanied her mother, Diane Wolkstein, when she died in 2013. And in the process, we thought, why not make a commonplace episode? Of course, I'm biased, but I really think few people visit Taiwan and don't come to love it. My job was just to show this complicated, lovable face of Taiwan to Rachel. What better way to do that than to connect her with those who passionately engage with literature and social justice? Since this was the first time Rachel and Commonplace were coming to Asia, I suggested veering from the usual format of a quiet conversation, and if possible, finding a way to capture the sounds of Taiwan instead. There are so many independent bookstores in Taiwan, many representing a certain niche of people or issues in society, and because of this, I propose them as entry points to better understand modern-day Taiwan. Like other parts of the world, independent bookstores struggle to survive, 
but also demonstrate an incredible vibrancy and pluckiness. And unlike bookstores I've seen in other parts of the world, bookstores in Taiwan seem to have a reputation for serving as hubs of activity for marginalized communities. And their abundance and diversity speak to a society that emerged as one of the earliest democracies in Asia. Despite being a little island, Taiwan has one of the highest publishing rates on the continent. Next, we're heading south from Taipei City and going to a neighborhood known for its little Myanmar inside Taiwan. There is Brilliant Time, a bookstore devoted to Southeast Asian cultures. Actually, I call Brilliant Time a provider of books rather than a bookstore. Most people go there to borrow instead of buy. You put down a deposit equivalent to the price of the book and return the book however many months or years later with your notes and doodles in the margins. The next person who borrows this book sees what you wrote, and that's the point, to continue an exchange with the reader you may not know. Brilliant Time occupies a three-story building. Books available for buying, borrowing, or browsing are on the first floor. You take off your shoes to ascend the stairs to the second and third floors where events and talks are held, as well as a regular rotation of Southeast Asian language classes. Rachel was so jet-lagged that night, but we ended up completely engaged in a two-hour conversation with one of the bookstore's co-founders a journalist named Zhang Zhen, and a young staff member named Yao Yuting, or Anna Lei. Brilliant time existed, they said, because they believe that everyone has the fundamental right to read. How did you first become interested in Southeast Asian people and, and these issues around uh, difficulty of uh, being a, a foreign person in Taiwan? Uh, many, many reasons. Maybe the first, first one is when I've been Vietnam, I have been there for four months. That's very difficult for me to know Chinese books to read. Mm. <laughs> and, and another reason is before I do the foreign magazine, I'm I'm a Chinese daily daily news uh, journalist. Mm. We do the Chinese uh, newspaper very hard. No one want to read. <laughs> we Taiwanese we have many material to read, and these South Asian people in Taiwan they have nothing to read. Even in the business view, we find. Uh, Blue Sea. <laughs> the market. The market, yeah. 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 That's about 10 or 15 years ago when we do that. I say they are Vietnamese, only Vietnamese people, mm. 200,000. They say there are only 200,000. I say, but I say this 200,000 don't have anything to read. Mm -hmm. If I have magazine, if my magazine has 200,000 readers, Enough. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I just want to say a few things about why Brilliant Time is important. Southeast Asians make up the largest ratio of foreigners in Taiwan today. The population of Southeast Asians in Taiwan now number over 700,000 people, more than the population of indigenous Taiwanese, and is only increasing. 
But how do people in Taiwan see Southeast Asians? Well, just last year, one of Taiwan's most prominent public officials, the mayor of Kaohsiung, said that Taiwanese people may not want Maria's, a derogatory term for Filipinos in Taiwan, to do white-collar work on our land. Others have remarked that Taiwanese people treat cats and dogs well, but don't seem to be so nice to Southeast Asian workers. In, at the beginning, they were very touched. Why you have this <laughs> newspaper? And I can speak a little Vietnamese. I, I try to conversation with them. They don't need newspaper now. Oh, because there are other newspapers? No, because they have website. Ah. <laughs> have have cell phone. Yeah. 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 But in two thousand two thousand six, that that period, that time they they don't have the cell phone. They don't have the internet. Mm. They depend on the words. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. That that was actually my next question, which was, how how have things changed in terms of the magazine, and the events, and the bookstore itself since the internet? So so, I gave up the newspaper, but I didn't go up to the website. I go back to the. Older fashion, old older school. We don't want to chase the big market. Too many smart people over there. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not really only smart. Mm -hmm. They are they are mean. <laughs> they are <laughs> they are for money over there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But we 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 for money too. We we are we are <laughs> we need money too. Yeah. But. But that's another style. I think that's another style. The old-fashioned the book, they have a, they have a value, and this value is from several hundred years ago. Mm -hmm. Internet, cell phone. Of course, I use that. Mm -hmm. It's convenient. But maybe next year, maybe next ten year, we have a. Another new things, yeah. So this is stable. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you still believe in books? Uh, Sometimes you know people say the book is dead, but yeah. you you believe in that books have a life that's that's very stable, that's very important. The book will. It's dying, I think. Okay, <laughs> but very slowly. <laughs> I always say the books should in go into the museum. Mm. So we are museum. Mm -hmm. In 2016, President Tsai announced a new Pivot South policy geared toward establishing stronger economic ties with countries in South and Southeast Asia and reducing dependence on China. But Mr. Zhang and the team behind Brilliant Time were looking at Taiwan in relationship to its Southeast Asian neighbors and in relationship to the many Southeast Asians living inside of Taiwan long before the new southbound policy. They have always been visionaries way ahead of their time. Projects they spearheaded have later been adopted by the highest levels of government and by the most well-reputed corporations in Taiwan, such as a sleet bookstore. I'm just going to give one example, Grandmother's Bridge or Wai Po Chow. 
This idea was born out of daily bus rides between Mr. Zhang and his wife, Liao Yunzhang, also a journalist and co-founder of Brilliant Time. When approached by a philanthropist on how best to serve the poor in Taiwan, they spent their commutes coming up with a proposal that would fund pairs of immigrant children and mothers to visit their homelands with the child's teacher, so that parents and educators could then work together to address systemic racism and change the educational environment on behalf of many more children. After six years of supporting nine mother-child teacher teams on trips to grandmother sites of origin, Taiwan's government then offered to fully fund and take on this project, which it still operates today. You and your wife have dedicated your lives to Southeast Asian issues. You talked a little bit about why, you know, why the bookstore, but why dedicate your whole life from a newspaper to a nonprofit organization to a bookstore? Why is it so important to you and to your wife? And then you talked about goals. What What is the big goal that you want to see? We hope Taiwan, Taiwanese society should be a, a fair, a fair society. We are full of uh, justice. That's more important for us. I hope the people around around me, we we cannot bear they they are treated unfair. Mm. Yeah, sometimes I think I want to give up this. I'm I'm a little tired, <laughs> <laughs> and this young this young generation grow grow up, mm-hmm. and they they can replace replace us. And I and my wife can. Can go to find another subject too. <laughs> I have no time to write my book. Mm. I have to write perfect for other many books. Mm. But I think that's important for Taiwanese people because we are not really understand our neighbor. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Before I studied South Asia, I didn't know South Asia. Twenty years ago, I uh, accident read a book about South Asia. I very, I'm very surprised, not surprised. 就那个要怎么讲？我自己很惊讶。I, 可是那那个是高兴的。I'm very shocked. Yeah, it's very. I'm very shocked. That time I'm a journalist already. But that time Taiwan, there are already many South Asian people in Taiwan mm. around me, and I cannot recognize he or she is Philippine or Vietnam or Thai. Mm. But now it, the the time is changing. Mm. The young people they began to learn Vietnamese, Bahasa, Tagalog, Thailand. Mm. So I think I should retire. <laughs> <laughs> Other than telling people, what do you think、um, is the way that someone who's not living here could support your work? I,、um, I can answer that. Yeah.、Uh, we are planning to launch a small amount of sponsorship、mm-hmm. for for like audience like the one you talk about.、Mm-hmm. So if you are you believe in the values of this bookstore and you want to support it, you can. Donate a bit <laughs> online. <laughs> yes.
yeah, if you can, if you support this 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 bookstore, I think you can treat. If you are not in Taiwan, you are in U.S. You can treat your neighbor better if he or she is from from a far away. Uh, if you are native people, you can treat them maybe maybe a little a little fair and learn some language from them. If you from South Asian come to Taiwan, you can take one book. Vietnamese book, Indonesia book, to tie, to here, to donate to us. We will take this book to lend to South Asian people in Taiwan. That's our movement. Even earlier, before my bookstore, and another part is Chen Ping Isolate Bookstore. The Maybe now he's the biggest, mm, biggest, biggest chambers. Mm. They join us this movement. Mm. If some people back Taiwan from South Asia, and he or she not live around Brilliant Time Bookstore, they can take the book to Athlete, donate to Athlete, and the Athlete Bookstore will collect this book, give to us. And we will take this book too. Yeah. So if some American friend come to Taiwan, mm, don't take English book. <laughs> so <laughs> what can, what they can do? <laughs> they can visit our bookstore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Your bookstore is so inspiring. Um, it's so inspiring because it changes the conversation. I feel like when I walk in here. There's a feeling of a completely a, a conversation that is not always about China, Taiwan, China, Taiwan, China, Taiwan. <laughs> We're able to change our perspective and look at these other countries that are very important to us too, but that nobody's talking about. Uh, about two two months ago, I write I write an article about this this question, this issue. Yeah. Mm. My opinion is, yeah. Ta- Taiwan is part of China, and Ta- China is part of Taiwan, <laughs> too. And Taiwan is part of Southeast Asia, and Southeast Asia is part of Taiwan, and Taiwan is part of the world. Yeah. So, if 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 many many Taiwanese want to be part of Ta- China, it's okay. I don't care. <laughs> I, not I, not I don't care. I cannot change that. <laughs> I cannot change that. <laughs> but we want to. We hope we can. Even Taiwan is part of China. We can keep this society fair, justice. If Taiwan is independent, but not not fair, I don't like this place. As soon as I walked into Fen Books, Li Shoumei, the store manager, otherwise known as Sophie, began telling me about how the floor and carpeting had to be redone because so many people had walked through this space. 
Fan Books is located in a neighborhood called Gongguan, a thriving area of Taipei with a high density of universities, bookstores, cafes, music venues, and cultural entrepreneurship. Sylvie told us about how Fan Books' founder created this space, partly inspired by Virginia Woolf's "A Room of One's Own." Virginia Woolf's call resonated so deeply. That she decided to dedicate herself to creating a collective room for all women to engage in literary pursuits and dialogues. This, to me, is the heart of many Taiwanese independent bookstores. They are rooms of our own for so many marginalized communities and issues. And this next conversation is a great example of that. Afterwards. Professor Kang walked Rachel, Moses, and I around the neighborhood. He pointed out his favorite bakery for brownies and a bookstore tucked inside a Russian restaurant. The only way in is through the fragrance of Russian cuisine. He walked us to the revered indie bookstore stalwart Tangsan. This stairwell, papered in worn posters advertising all sorts of political and cultural events. Was the rite of passage for every intellectual in town. He proclaimed. He led us to the gnarly, majestic Tai Power Spider Tree, now protected as a historical landmark, where you can reach inside a secret inset in the park bench to pull out books and look through a peephole to find a poem, both erotic and political, by the gay Taiwanese poet Chen Kehua. And recounted how gay and lesbian bookstores fought to defend themselves from the threats of closure by a very influential church in the neighborhood. So I asked Sophie to say her full name and to talk about the history of the bookstore. My English name is Sophie Lee. So what I'll do is I'll ask you to pause in certain parts, and I'll just do a brief summary. Okay, so she first got involved last March because they needed somebody kind of um, last a little, almost like in an emergency.、Um, but she first got to know Fem Books in 1994 through its warehouse, its storage,、um, and. Then in 1996, what happened, Professor Kong?、Uh, they became a publisher. They became a publishing house. Okay.、Mm. So in 1994, when she got involved, sort of the back back end、um, with the warehouse, then she began to learn about the mission and values of Fem Books and was really touched by it and saw how women in Taiwan also faced. Oppression and the stereotypes facing women, and then a little bit later, one of the founders of Fem Books had a chance to go to the U.S. and and visit different independent bookstores in the U.S. and started thinking about, wow, how great would it be for Taiwan to have a women-centered bookstore? Okay, so more or less. So I became involved even before Fem Books. I was involved in movements for gender equality, and I realized that to really, you know, be in these movements, I needed to educate myself. I needed to develop my own self awareness, and so education was hugely important. And you know, our founder,、um, when she had gone abroad, and she came across Virginia Woolf, she. 
she saw a room of her own and said, yes, that's what we need. And that's what led to the creation of this bookstore that's been here in the same exact location for 25 years so that women could have a room of their own here. That was the purpose of having this bookstore. And this is a resource platform for anybody interested in working in the women's movement. This is a space for dialogue, for debate, for discussion. And by having a space like this, that will lead to um, more, you know, more possibilities for what's outside of this bookstore, for movements on the street, for protests, for you know, the whole gamut of what a movement needs. Yes, I, I think uh, that's uh, how this idea of widow dance started. Um, in Chinese, uh, we kind of gave this area a, a very strange name, Wenluoding. Uh, it kind of highlights three uh, major streets, and we kind of used the first character uh, of the street and then put this area into uh, a new name. So... Uh, we try to appropriate the right of naming. Uh, somehow, if you don't name yourself, you will be named otherwise. Uh, so uh, it was a very interesting process because uh, I was involved in a squatter village conservation called Treasure Hill, not very far from here. With the official title, I'm an associate professor at um, the uh, Graduate Institute of Building and Planning. Of National Taiwan University, but it's a a, a, a radical institute that we uh, uh, do not stay in the ivory tower of the academy. We always intervene in the social process, and so this institute was and still is responsible for quite a lot of social movement and actions. Yeah, so I was responsible for uh, uh, its sort of conservation and later planning. And so there was a, 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 an art project that uh, the artists wanted to have a parade uh, out of Treasure Hill into the city. And this, this architect, this artist, was actually a Finnish. And he heard about Aesthetic Bookstore, the very famous uh, franchise bookstore. So uh, he thought that we should walk from Treasure Hill all the way to Eslet. Um, but I told him that uh, instead of walking that far, because a lot of squatters are very, uh, very uh, old seniors, uh, so I, I think maybe it's more interesting to walk around here, not far from Treasure Hill, and we will visit uh, each independent bookstore. And I started to realize how many independent bookstores concentrate in this area. This is very close to uh, the university, National Taiwan University, where I'm teaching, and also very close to another uh, national uh, normal university. Uh, so quite a lot of intellectuals um, hang around here, also live around here. But uh, it's also very conservative because most of the residents are in certain way um, um, how can I describe this um, you may notice there are very few temples around here but a lot of churches 
And long time ago, when Madame Chiang Kai-shek has certain intention to um, kind of encourage the development of churches, Catholic and Christian. Uh, so somehow you will find a lot of churchgoers. I'm not saying all of them are conservative, but they have certain values. So here, the territorial identity is probably a bit conservative compared to other districts. When I'm talking about conservative, uh, it's more, in a way, middle class, bourgeoisie, but uh, they want it to be more stable. Uh, and then you have bookstore about Taiwanese independence. You have bookstore about gay rights. You have a bookstore about feminist rights, a leftist. All of them are so contradictory to the conservative values. So for me, this is like an epitome of a city. You have sort of residential and uh, territorial identity of a community, but then you have identities from different social groups who actually do not live here. And the bookstore became kind of symbolic. And then you will see all of them sort of um, gather around in the same area peacefully without uh, sort of direct conflict. Um, so um, we started to talk about how important this consortium or alliance of independent, independent bookstore uh, is, uh, was, but still I think it is uh, very important for the city to maintain the spiritual sort of idea here because I later talk about how uh, this area will become the spiritual anchor of the city. And so um, I'm not a, a bookstore owner or operator, not a manager, but because I was involved in that project. So we decided to have a parade into the bookstore. And then I started to uh, know each owner of the bookstore. And it's very difficult uh, for them to survive here. The rent is really high. So some of them have to hide under uh, in the basement or on the second floor. Um, this way of uh, survival strategy. Um, so uh, it's not very visible from the street uh, perspective. Uh, so you have to meander through this area. Uh, so we, we thought it might be interesting to give it another title for people to remember uh, this area. And when you call that title, you think about independent bookstore or uh, music venue or NGOs. Um, so we started to broaden up this alliance from bookstore to interesting sort of cafes and uh, music uh, uh, live house uh, or venues and then to NGOs but I mean at the core it's still the in independent bookstore and that's why I think uh, like each bookstore is symbolic for certain social group in the city uh, not only in the city I think uh, you could think about the entire Taiwan as a city because this is the only you know, gay bookstore in Taiwan, actually in Asia, 
we realized that Jingjing was the only bookstore, gay bookstore in Asia. And then uh, in a way of urban planning, it's interesting to, to see why they all concentrate within like a radius of one kilometer. And uh, this is kind of strange. <laughs> and so uh, we, we started to use the name Wen Luo Ding. And interestingly, there were also two bookstores related to uh, Christian churches. Uh, sometimes when we have a meeting, uh, well, long time ago, <laughs> uh, you will see this uh, sort of uh, bookstore owner sitting next to gay bookstore owner. <laughs> I mean, the Christian books. Uh, even though ideolo- their ideology and their social values are totally dras- drastically different, but uh, they still, you know, uh, have this conversation together. And we even have certain book fair later uh, to kind of share different book titles. Like each independent bookstore uh, will be responsible for their own table. But altogether, you will see a slice of the city uh, quite different from the, 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 the franchise bookstore. Uh, it was just kind of experimental, but uh, there's also conflict. Uh, maybe later I'll talk about that. But it's, it's just, uh, you, you will see how, how uh, a slice of the city could be also utopian in a way, but also dis- utopian in reality. And, uh, so I'll do my best to explain. But we talked about how the name of Wenluoding, this cultural area, comes from three streets. But there's actually a wordplay at the very final um, consonant, the ding. In the colonial period in Taiwan, it, it was a there was ting on a lot of words and street names. And is a Westgate area or neighborhood. So the demarcation of a neighborhood in Japanese is ding. And but this willow den or window ding, this ding is the first tide, a uh, first character of a street name. So it kind of play with this combination of different streets. There's also a, a reason because uh, we thought uh, maybe each uh, bookstore could rename their alley, but this is a very political. Uh, you're in your neighbors might not agree with this naming and you have to negotiate with all of them to have uh, you know, a leftist street, <laughs> a feminist street or a gay street. And so it was a kind of a funny period that we kind of play with different characters. For instance, in the gay alley where Jing Jing bookstore was and there was a church. <laughs> this is way too difficult to explain. Its name is called Xie Tong Jiao Hui. Like, uh, in, in translation, it could mean helping or assisting gay group. But Xie Tong is also the title of the church and it's so anti-gay. So the bookstore owner, uh, Azhe, he said, maybe we could name our street Xie Tong Street, and they don't have any ground to disagree. <laughs> it's because it's their title, you know, the church title, but it's also 
it also carries the meaning of assisting uh, gay community. But again, that's uh, why I thought it was kind of important because it's related to certain identity and how you can identify with your with your symbol, <laughs> particularly in this this building. Uh, uh, as you know, uh, downstairs, this is also a, another mecca for a lot of feminists uh, would uh, attend at night. This is a uh, sort of a music club, uh, but it's in the name of which. And upstairs used to be the foundation for Peng Wanru, and she was a victim of um, gender violence. And and so in her name, they established a foundation. So on three different levels, you will see three symbolic sort of uh, feminist uh, idea. This building is an icon, which is why I came here as a starry-eyed college student. But I want to make sure we get to Sophie's a few points that... Win Luo Ding feels like the spirit of a com- of this commercial area. It is a commercial area, um, and each each commercial enterprise in the area has its own distinctive identity. But there's something about being part of this that makes you feel like I have to do the name proud. I have to hold my shape up, hold myself up a little straighter. You know, I'm part of a larger identity than my single enterprise. And so people often come into this store and they say, well, what other bookstore should I go to? You know, what would you recommend that I do? And so her first recommendations, you know, one of the first ones is always Jin Jin, the gay bookstore, because people who come in here are oftentimes also interested in gender and LGBTQ issues. And, you know, there are a couple of other ones, but really all among the Wen Luoding network. So just saying a bit about why the network matters so much. Uh, it's so incredible what you're describing and in the United States, and I know here, bookstores are under so much financial pressure, and the publishing world is under so much financial pressure. And then you're also describing the way these bookstores are also uh, under a lot of conservative pressure, and um, they are the only one of their kind. Um, and so. I'm curious to know how you protect them from all of this pressure. Is there like, is there uh, government funding or government protection for these bookstores, or is it all uh, like social activism of people protecting them? Or at this point, have they brought so much to the neighborhood that they are self-sustaining? Can I also add something to that question? I would love to hear Sophie talk a little bit about what concretely are the challenges that she's facing as she's trying to run this bookstore. So we have a kind of a very ground, uh, on-the-ground example. Okay. <laughs> so basically saying, yes, we're still in a very challenging phase. And even like our you know, um, internally, there are challenges. And speaking of government support, it's very, very limited. So um, in terms of, you know, we, we're, we're a for-profit institution, but w- in terms of values, we run more like a nonprofit. You know, you can come in here and you can buy a book, you cannot buy a book. We still want to support independent thinking. We want to support discussion and dialogue. And so this is part of where we face difficulties. 
so and then just speaking about like the finances. So let's say I sell one book and I make fifty new Taiwan dollars off of that. That's in terms of USD. It's like a dollar fifty, and I need to pay staff. I need to pay rent. After twenty five years, we're still renting this facility. We could have purchased a building. You know, purchased our own space by now. And I need to pay. You know, all the utilities here, and then. From the publishers, we don't get much of a discount. Um, it's much cheaper to um, to sell online these days than to have a, a bookstore, and so these are kind of the financial um, challenges that we have. So, uh, Fem Books has been operating at a loss for 25 years, and even though we've been operating at a loss, because of our values, we still find a way to continue. We grind our teeth and we go forward, and we find because we want people to feel free, both feel free and independent when they come in here. So, you know, our we have to keep our values, a kind of nonprofit values. I'm very inspired and saddened. By this answer, because in my fantasy, they're not running at a loss. I want the answer to be some magical <laughs> formula <laughs> that people can do this and also make a living, not maybe get rich, but you know, pay everybody and 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 be okay. What could we at Commonplace do to、um, promote your? Bookstore, your platform, your social issues, or what could people who are listening do? But we're we're failing in the United States to protect our own independent bookstores, really terribly.、Um, you know, there there's so few,、um, and they and I've seen them in New York close down one after the other. So、uh, I don't even know how to ask that question, <laughs> but.、Um, Well, let me explain.、Um, I used to talk to the the owner of Tangshan, the Dongshan、uh, bookstore, a leftist. <laughs> he was an anthropologist, and he survived because he's always in the basement. <laughs>、um, but、um, he actually argued that what's more important:、um, readership or selling books, a physical bookstore or virtual bookstore, which encourage more readership. Uh, so he struggled quite a lot because he thought about publishing his books with electronic uh, uh, sort of、uh, format. If you wanted to、um, sort of expand the horizon of readership,、uh, do you care about just reading or the value which is related to the central, the core? Idea of your bookstore,、mm-hmm. for instance, and the gender or uh, 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 sort of feminist value, or the leftist, and so、um, maybe I'll use this、uh, route to talk about the public art、uh, project. And there was one opportunity、uh, that、uh, the city government tore down a few houses、uh, for future development. But they will encourage、um, the landowners to make the best 
out of this sort of open and vacuum plaza. And um, they will get extra floor area if they use 18 months to make the land public. And so there was a time that uh, all bookstores talk about the possibility of running, uh, I mean, operating certain kind of mechanism to um, use that space to promote indie bookstores, including making books, uh, maps, uh, I mean, public maps for bookstores. So uh, each bookstore during that period of time had the opportunity to choose one line from the most important books that they, you know, believe in. And then we'll make it into a plaque. And then we'll put all of them together for paving. And of course, like each of them think about something. It was really interesting, but the most controversial one was from the gay bookstore. And they chose (laughs) a poem from a very famous gay uh, poet is called uh, <laughs> the anal subjectivity. <laughs> Something like that, okay? And it's very provocative. Uh-huh. And then um, we thought, well, if during that time the city could accept this plaque, then it's real public. Yeah. Normally you cannot put that in a public park. You know? And then we also uh, ask uh, uh, this uh, Taiwanese independent bookstore to to coordinate certain kind of a a, a forum from the Taiwanese aborigines. Mm. But this writer insists that he need a bonfire Mm. when he talks. Like in the mountain area, you need a bonfire. But you cannot set a bonfire in a park, right? But you can set a bonfire in that kind of an open public space because no one is managing or you know supervising that piece of land so like every month like uh, every bookstore will host a film or an event or a poem reciting or different things but what's more interesting was the plaque of this this annual subjectivity was right next to the the Catholic Church, the rosary rhymes or something like that. It's very beautiful and very pure. So you have this <laughs> filthy <laughs> poem next to this very pure poem. But that's what the city is about for, for us. Um, and the landowner was not very happy, but we told, well, the owner that if you could get extra floor area you have no right to speak now unless there's a certain citizen who is against that idea of having a poem like this in the paving. But to be honest, very few people actually notice. And when they notice, it's really kind of, you know, you kind of laugh about it until later we have finally a, an opportunity to make those plaques from 13 to 18 to expand this you know, collective wall, uh, you know, from paving into a vertical wall that is more visible uh-huh. from the street. And you can see that it's right under that corner over there. I, I can lead you there. And in the very beginning, 
again, this poem is uh, incorporated into this public art project. And um, from a distance, you will see only like 18 different plaques into a huge plaque under a spider tree. The tree was beautiful in April, and it would be really um, magnificent when all the white blossoms kind of cover this area. We finally get Thai power, uh, which is another sort of uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, 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 they actually own the land, and they finally agreed to have all the poems in this vertical wall as a part of public art project uh, that they have to install. And when the first night it was erected, the churchgoers who, who also live here started to have protest, and mothers will push their babies to Thai power building to protest. If you allow such a poem to stand at this corner, how will we educate our children in the future? And so they started a long protest and then the gender group, especially fan bookstore and their writers started to have a different uh, posting so every day it was different. <laughs> you know, you have protests from church groups and then you have another protest from gender-friendly groups and this kind of competing. For me, it's a public art itself. You know, it's yes. kind of interesting to have all the records. And f but, but in the end, you still have to negotiate between the territorial community and the identity groups. And then we finally found a way of doing that because... Uh, as I mentioned earlier, all the bookstores are at different level. Mm -hmm. Mostly they're on the second floor or in the basement, I mean the important one. And if you allow all the bookstores to survive in different layers, mm -hmm. then we don't, have, we don't have to have all the plaques on the same surface. Mm -hmm. And so we started to rearrange all the plaques in different layers and then underneath there was a layer for someone who's in the basement or who vanished so we kind of claimed them back and finally because Jingjing kind of transformed itself from a bookstore into a gallery and they no longer hold the title of Jingjing bookstore mm -hmm. so it's in the basement mm -hmm. and you peep into a hole you could still see the poem, but it vanished from the surface. Um, this seems to me to be, without making a huge generalization, something that we've come up uh, in, in Taipei quite a bit. You know, how to uh, survive and protect your, your strong beliefs, yes. but uh, without uh, forcing your your opponent into a position where they're going to fight back too strong. If you heard about the referendum just last year, it was kind of ugly. It's just um, no one was happy about the, the result. But uh, when you ask us about uh, what this podcast could do <laughs> to, to help the bookstores or uh, this area, I think it's for, for me, uh, most of the bookstores still survive because they 
believing something. They they are not making extra profit. They are not rich or, you know, doing something only for commercial values. So I believe to help them、uh, sustain their values in the city is quite important. And so through bookstore, this is a great platform. But maybe for something more public, if you could have a stand, if you if you could voice up. And、uh, to be honest, I think ideally,、uh, I would love to see they take terms like every month to hold certain events in in that small plaza, just like what we did before. You know, just a small、uh, poem recital or a, a, a very very uh, small uh, screening for uh, a documentary.、Um, right now, there's no one. Managing that space, except Thai Power. <laughs> so, 来自美国的朋友常来女书店，都是他们都会在飞机上会留。So,、uh, Sophie was saying that we actually get quite a few American visitors or people coming by from abroad, and mostly they hear about fun books through LGBTQ websites and other platforms like that. And so. You know, it's actually wonderful to have visitors. When I came on board last year to help run the bookstore, part you know I'm coming from a completely different industry, and what gave me kind of the momentum to go forward was seeing how much support we had beyond Taiwan, even, and that over 25 years we've actually accumulated so many people who care about us. So what we're asking for, I guess, is. Pay attention, not, yeah. Pay attention not just to our store, but to Taiwan and to. Gender issues in Taiwan, the sexuality issues in Taiwan, the Taiwan's culture.、Um, this it's hugely important for for our future as well. And you know, luckily, they ha- they've had some volunteers too. So a lot of times their staff are part time. They have some volunteers, and the volunteers have so much passion. Like there are students from China coming and saying, you know, after their studies, they want to do they want to do projects in their spare time for the bookstore. Um, but what she notices is that young people in Taiwan, they have passion, but you know, at the end of the day, that doesn't fill your belly. That's not paying the bills. It's not making you a living. And so, how to how to satisfy all those needs continues to be a challenge. Yeah. She argued this bookstore is actually a public property. You know, we've come to a place. I know that you are a professor of urban planning and, and studies. Look, we've come to a place where most people agree that if we don't have、uh, green space in a city, if we don't have、uh, you know enough、uh, open space, that it you can't live really in a, in a healthy way. But what if we had the same attitude about independent bookstores? That every city, you know, thought of independent bookstores the same way we do about parks and open space. Eventually.、Uh Semi-public space, like a bookstore or even a cafe, if it's so cherished by the community or the neighborhood,、um, uh, it needs to be kind of well, you know, protected in certain way. Or maybe tax、yeah. should be cut out. It would actually help the the independent bookstore、mm-hmm. if you do not tax them as much as like a commercial venue. But sometimes、um, it's still kind of debatable、uh, what. A bookstore actually is is a is a it's a commercial space or a semi-public space. It's kind of in between, you know. But I, I personally, I believe the value of their existence in the city 
uh, itself is quite important for our idea of expanding what's public. We need more negotiated publicness in the city, and uh, and that's kind of a political process. But it's it's kind of bottom up. It's more democratic in many ways instead of just being designed or designated as a public space. Uh, and and that's why you know as a planner, I kind of intervened in this process, even though I'm not a publisher or a bookstore owner. But I still believe in this value of. You know, urban planning that needs to look into this sort of value. The only way to end this Taiwan episode is with an overflowing glass of gratitude. First and foremost, to Rachel Zucker for her trust and her commitment to building a team where we each get to be ourselves. And for her unwavering belief that our true selves are a contribution to this show and to the world, and of course, woman, 十分感谢女书店的李秀梅经理 Sophie 和台大城乡所学生很崇拜的康明杰教授，以及灿烂时光的张震老师和姚雨婷。Thank you for your leadership and boundless creativity for creating these bookstores as spaces for everyone. To learn and grow in Taiwan and beyond. Many thanks also to Counterpath Press and Zephyr Press for making books available to selected patrons of the Kalman Place Book Club. Special thanks also to Moses Zucker Gorin for his diligent documentation, always thoughtful insights, and loving presence and support. To Dustin Young, Brenda Lin, Carissa Chen, Andrew Ryan, and the unnamed monk at Puji Temple. You carved out time in your schedules to share conversations, meals, and a slice of everyday Taipei life with us. We are so fortunate and grateful. The music you hear today is from an original composition called "Monday Spirit," composed by the Taiwanese musician Zhang Yinlan, with lyrics by Xi Chengchen and with Lin Huajin on the guitar. Immense gratitude to my beloved friend Yinlan and her collaborators for this donation. For more information about each artist's music, please visit this episode's page on our website. 也非常感谢 all the behind-the-scenes network sharing, encouragement, and wise counsel of 我爸妈 Mike and Michelle Wang, 以及亲爱的好友陈婉宁、陈新涵、张玉珍、徐怀元 and Odom Dai. 我以你们每一个人为荣，每一个人都在为台湾之光。Finally, to all the listeners who gave these experimental episodes your time. Sometimes I think attention is the greatest gift we can give each other, and I am humbled by your generosity. This has to be the first Chinglish outro in Commonplace Her Story, and in that spirit, I wish everyone a luminous new year, for the year that began on January first, and 龙历年鼠年大吉，这一年属于你，也属于我的。
灵感提交，醒了手中骨头，点头抖跺脚，搜索加油的管道，找对时间。